Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. We're kind of in the middle of a four-week sermon series on living as disciples. We've been following Jesus on the road to uh, Jerusalem as told by Luke in chapters 10 and 11. Now, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem with determination and resolve, and along that road, he came and he met a lawyer. And in his discussion with the lawyer, he taught him and us how to be a good neighbor, because disciples are good neighbors. He takes time to stop in for an afternoon visit with Martha and Mary, and he also shows the importance of learning how to love by listening, not only to Jesus, but also to each other, because disciples love by listening. Now, there's nothing more basic about our discipleship than that of a prayer life, because disciples pray. Many of us learned how to pray as a child. I have fond memories of learning how to pray by my bedside at night or before a meal. As I aged a little bit, I learned how to pray for others, like my friends and my families or even myself. I also, as I sat in the pews in the church, learned how to endure prayer. For me as a child, one of those was the pastoral prayer, which seemed to go on and on. I'm sure you can identify. There were also the other prayers that I had to endure, which uh, took on the tone of my uncle's, Uncle Don's voice or my grandfather's voice just before Thanksgiving dinner when we are really hungry and they've got to outdo each other in the prayer. I'll bet you know that as well. We learn prayers by rote sometimes. I remember my youngest daughter, Tori, brought her friend when they were in middle school to uh, the worship service with us. And after we had prayed the Lord's Prayer, she leaned over to Tori and she said, we say that prayer too. Indeed, we do. We've all been delighted on how children learn prayers among us. We've heard the stories about the young kid that that says, uh, Harold, be your name after learning the Lord's Prayer, or realizing that bread is jelly bread, not daily bread. You see, these young children have kind of a wonderful, pure relationship with prayer. Like so many things that children learn, they, they come to it with an openness and a curiosity and an acceptance of what is. They have not learned the art of yet being jaded or uh, skeptical. I think that happens a little bit later, maybe middle school age. But it also means that they approach things with excruciating honesty. If you listen to the prayers of a child, you can see and hear that honesty that sometimes takes us back, sometimes is surprising, and most of the time is refreshing. I looked for children's prayers to illustrate this, this, this week, and I found one on giving strength, Eric, thanks. The little girl says, Dear God, thanks for my baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy. And then I also like the way kids seem to call it like they see it. 
They don't mince words. They said, dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was that just a mistake? But whatever you can say about children and prayer, you can always find a good relationship in that prayer. We could learn from the prayer that goes something like that. Dear God, if you watch closely at church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. And then there's this prayer that, for me, kind of sums up a healthy relationship with prayer, something we could all learn from, that simply says, Dear God, I think of you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. The disciples spent their life learning how to pray. They were faithful Jewish men and women who started their day with prayer. They prayed at noon and in the afternoon and then again in the evening. Their Hebrew scriptures were filled with prayers, examples of prayers, prayers of individuals, prayers of the people, prayers of the psalmist. Sometimes these prayers were laments and sometimes they were acts of praise. Some of them were memorized like the Shema and some of them were free form. So it might seem a little surprising when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them to pray. Let's see how that story reads according to the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 11th chapter and going from verse 1 through 13. Listen now for God's holy word. He was praying in a certain place, and after Jesus had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to times of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him in the mid- at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is, his, he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give you whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who receive, asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of God for the people of God. So according to this evangelist, when the disciples ask Jesus, teach me to pray, Jesus responds with this 
kind of abbreviated form of the Lord's Prayer, and then goes on to tell an odd story about a visitor in the middle of the night, followed by a series of sayings and lessons and teachings. This Lord's Prayer found in Luke's Gospel is uh, shorter than the one found in Matthew's Gospel around the same story. It is one, however, that we recognize because we participate and usually recite that in our services each week. Hardly a person around us has ever been to church in which they didn't at least hear the Lord's Prayer, let alone memorize it. We said it today. We gather and we say it corporately. We say it and lift it as a single voice. The early Christians in the first century were uh, believed to have said it three times a day, replacing the Shema. And then Jesus tells them this odd little story about an unexpected, uh, unexpected midnight guest. What bothers me about this story is that if we are not careful, we can begin to think that God only answers our prayers if we whine or if we complain or drone on and on until God finally gets tired of listening to us and answers our prayers. It leaves us with a sense of an uncaring God, a God who is preoccupied. But perhaps the parable is really more about the character of the prayer then the parable is about the character of God. You see, some scholars have suggested that the attitude of the friend is more about shamelessness than persistence. This early Greek word, which is translated as persistence in most English translations and bold in the NIV, can be traced back to the root word for shamelessness. And that shamelessness is like the um, innocence with which a child comes into things. Uh, the, a child who climbs into the lap of a trusted adult without any inhibitions, with one expectation, and that expect- expectation is that any need they offer will be uh, received and would be played upon whether they turn to the adult for a hug or another piece of candy or an extended five minutes before bedtime or even the wiping away of a tear, I found myself wondering what would it be like if we all prayed shamelessly? If we went to God with that innocence and that expectation that we would be heard and our needs would be met. Then Jesus makes it clear through a series of sayings that God gives goodness. That all that God gives is good. It is hard for us to really pick up on that, especially if we are in the midst of unanswered prayer. Perhaps our unanswered prayer is about the curing or the health, our health and the curing of an illness. 
Perhaps that unanswered prayer is like the one that we prayed standing at the foot of a young man's bed who fell victim to a tragedy, and we prayed for just a glimpse of life. Perhaps that prayer is that the bullying will stop. Or perhaps it's that you have the strength and the courage to stand up against something that's unpopular, something that's unjust. For these prayers, sometimes God is too quiet. Sometimes it may seem as God is absent. But what Jesus teaches us here is he ends with a promise that the gift that God gives us, the gift that God gives us is not just good because all of us know how to give good gifts. The gift that God gives us is the divine self, the Holy Spirit. The gift that God gives us when we come to God in prayer is God very self and being. The one who created us out of love, the one who hears us in our prayers, loves us through them, and is present in our prayers. Praying shamelessly, without inhibitions, with hope and expectation, is met by a loving God who desires to love us No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter our past, no matter what we bring, our God hears our prayers as we pray. There's a spiritual writer named Robert Benson, and he writes this. He says, sometimes being listened to is so much like being loved that it's hard to tell the difference. Perhaps what Jesus is saying here is that God listens so that when we ask, what we receive is God's presence and God's listening ear. So that when we search, what we find is God's providence. And when we knock, the door that is open to us is a deeper and deeper relationship with God. Michael Gray is a pastor in El Paso. It was Saturday afternoon, and he was spending the day, like all other Saturdays, getting ready for Sunday, when he received a frantic call from his wife. She had let him know that their 33-year-old daughter was in the parking lot of Walmart when the shooter happened a couple of weeks ago. He rushed from his house and got in his car and went to the Walmart parking lot, which was only seven minutes away from him, and yet he says that seven minutes was like a lifetime. In that seven minutes, he prayed. He prayed from the very core of his being. He said, oh God, please don't let her suffer. Please don't let her be in pain. When he got to the parking lot, there was already the yellow tape around the parameter of the area. And so he looked over the the tape, and sure enough, there she was, his daughter laying in the parking lot. He went under the tape and over to her, and he saw that it didn't look so good. 
He gave her encouraging words, told her it would be okay even though he was not sure. He began to look around and realized that all of the ambulance were so busy with so much chaos ensuing that he left her side and went and got one of those flatbed carts from, from Walmart that you take out the big items in. He pulled it over to her and he and his wife lifted her up on that cart and took her to the ambulance. Later at the hospital, the doctors were pretty direct. They said her wounds were pretty serious that she would likely have surgery, but there would be no guarantees. Again, he prayed. He prayed with her. He prayed for her. He prayed for her doctors, for the medical teams, for the other victims of all the families that had been gathering at the hospital there that day. You see, Michael was not new to this kind of prayer in the midst of of crisis because he was a chaplain in the army before he was a pastor of a local church. But what was different today was this was his kid. This was his life. This was his world being torn apart, and these prayers came from a part, a depth of his very soul that was palpable. But what was also important to him were the prayers that were circling him and his family in that waiting room. The people that had gathered from his church that were spreading their prayers as well and his buddies from around the world still in the army from South Korea and Italy who got word and were lifting their prayers as well. Michael shared with some reporters the importance of prayer. And he said this. He said, God stands with us in prayer. And the people of God stand with with you to cover you with love and grace and walk with you on this incredible, horrifying journey. And then listen what else he says. He said, somewhere during that week, I realized that the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not that I would not walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But yea, though I walk through it, God will be with me. Friends, the gift that God gives us is God's presence in prayer. We learn through persistent and shameless practice of prayer that prayer is much more than communication with God. It is communion with God. And Jesus teaches us that prayer ultimately leads into a deeper relationship with God. And we can trust that that relationship has a solid foundation of goodness. Disciples, disciples let God love on them through prayer. Through prayer, God is present. Through prayer, we receive this greater sense of peace. Michael Grady's church's name is Prince of Peace. That abiding Prince of Peace that is with us and helps us when we even realize that things are not in our control. Through prayer, we receive a trust in God's providence, even when sometimes we feel as though our prayers are not answered. So this week, pray. 
but pray shamelessly and let God love on you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.